The pandemic has really caused a lot of change for a lot of buyers, but it's uneven. You know, and there's, um, I'd say the biggest difference that's happened in the last year, especially, is that industry focus around personas has become much more essential because a lot of the unevenness of the effects of the pandemic um, relate to what industry the buyer is in. Welcome to the Blind Spots Podcast. This show is designed to help marketers and researchers understand just how to address blind spots in key go-to-market areas through primary research efforts. This podcast is brought to you by Double Check Research, an established leader in win-loss and churn research and analysis with a mission to help clients improve their win rates by turning buyer insights into competitive advantage. My name's Ryan Sorley. I'm a founder, a researcher, a soon-to-be author, a husband to one and a dad to three, and your grateful and humble podcast host. Each show, I will engage with marketing, sales, product, and competitive intelligence experts in the B2B technology space in meaningful and thought-provoking conversations with actionable strategies on how to help product marketers and those with a love for research drive value across their organizations. If you're a product marketer, you've likely spent countless hours researching and designing buyer personas for whatever organization you may have been working for at that particular moment in time. Buyer personas are a detailed description of an actual somebody who embodies the key characteristics of your best potential customers. Those product marketers who nail their buyer personas see a significant increase in qualified lead volume, which leads to a very happy sales team and an increase in close rates and overall revenue. I would venture to say that today's guest, Adele Ravella, knows more about buyer personas than anyone on the planet. Adele is the author of the book, Buyer Personas, and the founder of the Buyer Persona Institute, a firm dedicated to helping organizations design personas that will strengthen their go-to-market efforts. Listen today as Adele unpacks the key building blocks of a successful buyer persona effort on this episode of Blind Spots. Adele, welcome to Blind Spots. Well, thank you, Ryan. Thanks so much for inviting me. I'm just delighted to be here. Well, it's it's certainly our pleasure and our honor. Uh, When we met back in, I I can't recall if it was 2018 or 19 at a product marketing community event. Before the pandemic, right? It was before before the pandemic and there's after the pandemic. 2020 was a wash completely. So I I think it may have been 2018. (laughs) But we were both in San Francisco. You were presenting on buyer personas. I was presenting on uh, win-loss analysis. And I really found what you said to be really insightful and interesting. And it really just showed your grasp of the, of the topic of the world of buyer personas. So I guess my first question is, why buyer personas? How did you come up with or start down that path? What was the driver? That's right, Ryan. We met at that event and uh, pragmatic marketing was there too, which is really the inception point for me because I had built a two-day course for pragmatic marketing back about 20 years ago now and taught that course for a decade almost. And during the course, 
It was two days. I spent an hour on buyer personas. And at the end of the course, people would say, oh, you know, buyer personas were the best part and we want more. So when I sold that company, Pragmatic Marketing, just over a decade ago, it was the obvious place to go. You know, it was like, okay, go deeper on what the market cares about, which is buyer personas. So from that point on, um, you had this one hour slot at the uh, pragmatic training and and you started to expand upon it to what you have today. So tell me about that journey. You know, where did you start? What do you, I know that you have a lot of tools that are industry standards for anybody doing buyer persona work. So how did you develop those? Tell me the, the story there as well. Well, so, you know, my, my real career starts way before the pragmatic marketing story in, in B2B tech, which I've been in for decades, so we won't say how long. <laughs> but, you know, it really started with, and building that course for pragmatic, which was really a two-day course, I knew that buyer personas were the foundation. So then I had to figure out how do I make marketers have access to the kinds of insights I'd had as a career technology sales and marketing executive. And so I started with a training class. I thought I could do for buyer personas what I'd done for product marketing and build a class about it. And what I quickly found out is that most people would rather pay somebody else to do the interviews for them than to do themselves. So about nine years ago, we pivoted and became a market research company. But I would tell you, Ryan, that in my heart, I'm a trainer. And so it was pretty easy for me to take the decades of experience I'd had being a marketer, being a sales professional, leading sales and marketing teams and just saying, you know, how do I go conduct the kinds of in-depth interviews with buyers that are going to reveal what they need to know and experience when they're buying? Because almost all the work that had been done to that date by Alan Cooper and other really smart persona people was focused on user personas and the using experience. And what I knew is that as if we were going to get people to become customers, they first had to have an exceptional buying experience. And for me, you know, the, what, the work that was being done around personas generically in the industry was around what I call buyer profiles, which works pretty well for probably low consideration consumer products, just kind of the Sally like to go do yoga and have two kids and a dog. But in the kind of world I'd come from in tech, where people are making investments, where the buying journey lasts weeks, months, or even a year or more, we really needed to get inside that buying experience to build that persona. And so it was really just examining the combination of my background as a trainer for a decade and wanting to have everybody on the planet. I mean, that's why I wrote the book is have everybody on the planet have access to that knowledge about their buyers that motivated it and kind of led me the whole way. Well, it's, it's interesting because I've had the same experience where people could do win-loss analysis or churn analysis internally, but they don't have the time or we can teach them how to do it, but it just it ends up being something that they feel they want to give off to, to a third party who specializes in, in the area. So from a timing perspective, I definitely see the benefit there. But, you know, like in, in the win-loss world on the buyer persona side, things must change regularly. The personas are not something that you necessarily set and forget. The world is shifting and changing, right? So how how does that work with the companies that, that you work with? Do they 
kind yeah. of keep coming back and every six months refresh them? Or what is the best mm-hmm. practice in, in that particular area? Yeah, and, and I mean, it's a good question, and the pandemic has really caused a lot of change for a lot of buyers, but it's uneven, you know, and there's, I'd say the biggest difference that's happened in the last year especially is that industry focus around personas has become much more essential because a lot of the unevenness of the effects of the pandemic relate to what industry the buyer is in. And prior to the pandemic, we would see very little differences, much fewer than people expected around buying decision insights and what buyers needed to know to buy, I don't know, you know, a new CRM solution or whatever technology they were investing in to run their network operations center or their manufacturing plant didn't really change that much over time. And and that was always surprising. I kind of thought when I started this business, it might be sort of a subscription thing or people would want to do the interviews recently or regularly. What we found is that it takes something pretty substantial. Mm. And I mean, what could be more substantive <laughs> than a pandemic, right? A global pandemic that affected the whole world to really change what buyers need to know about your solution before they buy because and I think this is, you know, I really like whenever I'm talking to an audience about personas to draw a distinction between profiles, which describe the individual, and personas, which include buying insights. And the, what buyers need to know about your CRM solution maybe didn't change that much because of the pandemic, unless they're in an industry like restaurants or, you know, some retail channels which really had to shift their strategies, and now they need CRM to do something different for them as a result of that. So I, I just, I always, and I find I always have to keep shifting the conversation, Ryan, when I'm talking to people about personas to make sure it's focused on what do your buyers need to know about your solution before they buy. So on, on the what the buyer needs to know front, are there commonalities across the companies that you work with where most organizations or most buyers need to know these five things, they're kind of essential building blocks, or is it really different based on yeah. the... Yeah, it's really different. And it, let's just say, uh, certainly we could up-level what buyers need to know and find commonalities. But in order to be effective at helping a buyer trust that you have the right solution for them, as soon as you up-level it that high, it's, it's useless. You know, it's something yeah. you could guess at anyway. And, and the real value of interviewing buyers to understand what they need to know is that you get layers below that. So I'll take the obvious one. You know, we want your solution to be easy to use. Duh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's so common. We, could, yeah. <laughs> we could guess that, right? And we'd probably be right at least 75% of the time, but that isn't useful because now what do we do? Okay, we're going to go out and say, we'll put it on our website, our solution is easy to use. Well, guess what? That does not impress your buyers. And so what you, the things you really need to know about your buyer are so detailed that there's no commonality because staying with the easy to use idea, you know, you need to know what about ease of use is meaningful to that buyer. How much training do they expect to have to give people before it's easy to use? How did they even go about evaluating ease of use? Did they have to go through a trial or a POC or did they just see a demo and believe it? And, you know, what are their questions about ease of use? 
And so this is what makes this work so fascinating is that you're going to be constantly learning by interviewing buyers. And I'd say it's less, you know, doing the interviews regularly and interviewing buyers regularly is much less about change than it is always learning something new on from every interview around the details that matter to your buyers. Because that's, you know, all of, I, I would dare say that your competitors all say their solutions are easy to use too. Right. And, and so the devil's in the details. So, so that that brings up a really interesting point about the the data collection process, right? Which which this particular podcast is all about blind spots. Which you know, it, for many organizations, uh, this is a really big blind spot. They haven't invested their own time or somebody else's time into this effort. So that research process, interviewing buyers, t- tell me about that. Give me an, a general idea around maybe there's some sort of structure to that process. I know that the outcomes yeah. are going to be different, but what does that structure look like? Yeah, so exactly. And so we've, um, to help clients find patterns around what they need to know there about their buyers, because when we're building a persona, we don't want to just look at anecdotal data or one customer at a time. We really want to look at patterns. And so to make that useful, we created a framework we call the Five Rings of Buying Insight. And so the first patterns you're looking for, we call it priority initiatives. And these are the patterns around the drivers or triggers for an investment in your category. Marketers love pain points. These are like the uber pain points. These are the pain points that are so excruciating that we can't last a moment longer without making this category of investment. And, you know, if you are building a persona, you might find anywhere from three to five to seven different drivers of pain that are crucial for that moment when buyers say, okay, we're willing to invest because we're in this circumstance or have this experience going on in our company. The second category of insight we talk about is success factors. These are all the things that you want to look for, patterns around the benefits your buyers are seeking. What outcomes do they think that they're going to achieve by making this type of investment? That's going, and you're going to find, you know, again, I don't want to really give you numbers because I don't know, but it's going to be a multitude of things that are really matter to your buyers. And, you know, everybody talks about benefits in marketing. So these things probably won't be super surprising, but it does give you a very concise way to know which benefits matter, which don't. And in your buyer's words, again, at that detail level that you don't have. The third category of insight we call perceived barriers. And these are, this is my favorite. This is where you learn about all the objections that buyers have. Perceptions, we call it perceived barriers. These are the perceptions that cause buyers to believe, true or not true, that particular providers cannot deliver what they need. And this is often the gold in the buyer persona in the, in the inter- interviews is really like buyers believe that nobody can deliver this or that your company can't deliver this. And this really tells you where to double down in your marketing effort to educate buyers about your approach or about your unique ability to deliver something that your competitors cannot. The fourth category of insight, we call it decision criteria. And this is usually the beefiest part of the study where we catalog all the questions that buyers have in common as they're going through this evaluation. These are all the, they're usually quite focused on features. I know marketers, oh my gosh, we can't talk about features. (laughs) Well, heck, (laughs) 
if I'm going to bet my career or my job or my company on this technology investment, I probably have some technical questions if I'm your buyer. And so this gets into that and it's going to give you all the detailed questions that your buyers have and that your sales and marketing effort had better address. Because if you don't have good answers, you're going to get eliminated. And this is where sometimes we actually see these studies affecting roadmap because sometimes uh, product managers are so focused on using criteria that they don't realize that there's buying criteria, which might be different. And things that might never come up in a customer interview can come up with buyers. And then finally, in buyer's journey, that's the last, uh, that's the fifth category of insight we deliver. And that's about the steps your buyers take, the resources they trust, and the different people that are involved in this decision so that you can see patterns and see where your marketing effort needs to focus, where your sales effort needs to focus. Most critically, what do you not need to do? I mean, so many more. Look at events, right, Ryan? I mean, here we were doing all of these live in-person events. We have clients that they were generating more, better than 50% of their leads annually off of live events that just vanished overnight, right? And now what? Well, the buyer's journey is going to tell you where the buyers are looking for information. And so that's, you know, for the people that are actually involved in the lead gen, demand gen, you know, sales enablement, really, really crucial insights. That is, is those, that's gold. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that. And I know that that's available on the Buyer Persona website as well. So anybody yeah. who's listening can go there and read up on those five areas. You talked about patterns a couple of times. I know this is a bit of a tactical question. When you look across these buyers and you're collecting data in these five areas, I guess, what is the typical sample size that you're looking for? How do you, you focus in? And from a context perspective, on you know something that we do is we try to zero in on whether it's an industry or it's an enterprise versus SMB group or a local community versus an international. So when we're working with organizations, we try to pick a lane, so to speak, to make sure that mm-hmm. the data we're collecting is representative of that focused area versus collecting data across a wide swath of, of buyers that are not really well connected that might have different drivers. So what is the sample that you typically look for? And then what is your process for pattern making, I guess? Like, how do you unpack all of that qualitative unstructured content to come up with those observations and opportunities? Yeah. So this is what's known as qualitative research. And people are always surprised that a relatively small sample size can give you really rich data. So these are, we're doing 30 interviews that are scheduled for 30 minutes, typically take 40 to 45 because we can't get people off the phone. And we find that with about, if if we have a homogenous group of buyers, let's say all enterprise, all over a billion in revenue, then about 10 interviews will give us that pattern. We will get essentially all of the crucial insights we need out of those 10 interviews. Now, it's not that we might not pick up one or two more if we did more than 10. It's just that those are expensive interviews and there's a diminishing rate of return on that investment. So it kind of goes like this and then heads back down after 10. The exception is when we're going to segment the study and along any demographic that you want to think about. And so company size is one of the most meaningful demographics when you're doing buying insight studies. And in that case, we would recommend at least eight interviews in each segment. 
Some of the things that are less meaningful that people get really hung up on is geography. We're doing huge studies right now for some very, very large clients, and they're global studies. And we'll do interviews in U.S., Canada, U.K., Germany, France, Korea, Saudi Arabia, Singapore, all over the world. I'm sorry if I didn't mention your country, <laughs> if you're listening. I know that isn't the whole world. Uh, and But we're doing that not because we're going to expect to find real differences. I mean, frankly, if I'm choosing which cloud provider, whether I'm going to use AWS, Azure, or Google, the differences between that decision may not differ that much by country. They all care where the data is going to be stored, but hey, they care about that, and that's pretty obvious. So the real meaningful differences aren't that different by country. But we still do interviews all over the world, not to look for differences, but to make the culturally, to make that work in the company, to make sure that the marketer in uh, Japan or in Australia or in India knows that we conducted interviews in that country. But that's why. It's not because you, you don't need interest interviews in each country and you don't have different personas for every country. And industry used to be kind of like that. We saw you know differences between public and private sector or maybe between regulated and unregulated sectors. But, you know, now now that there are differences based in some industries, like I mentioned, you know, restaurants, retail, tech has gone crazy. Tech's doing great. Restaurants are doing terrible. You already knew that, though. You didn't need <laughs> me to do interviews to tell you that. Yeah, that's really interesting, the, the global uh, view and being able to, to marry those interviews. That's a really interesting insight. And, and when you conduct those interviews in those different countries, are they conducted in local languages or do you stick to English primarily? We do. So we speak to, we stick to English. Um, one thing we haven't talked about, but it's critical to our method. Our interviews are completely unscripted and they're always conducted with people who recently made a buying decision. And so the structure of the, the interviews are structured, but not scripted. And they're structured around one scripted question. Take me back to the day when you first decided you might need a solution in this category and tell me what happened. And then we walk people back from that day to find out why they didn't act sooner. And then we walk them forward through every step of their journey, probing on everything they tell us about how, when, and why they decided who to evaluate and who to eliminate from consideration. So it's crucial. And this is why we can't get people off the phone with us is because they're telling their story. They're not answering questions. They're not like, on a scale of one to 10, I mean, right? <laughs> and, <laughs> and so people just love to tell their story. They get really open and really candid. They're also double blind. Nobody knows who the client is. It's very, very open. And it's really a conversation rather than a questionnaire or anything. So yeah, people, people will differ with the people are different in these countries. Their cultures are different. I've traveled all over the world. They're hugely different culturally. But in terms of the, the what they need to know about your product before they trust that it's right for them, or your solution, your service, it's just remarkable how like they are and how few interviews it takes to get those patterns. Yeah, that, that is really interesting. And, and we also subscribe to the eight to 10 like interviews pick up patterns if they have those common, common threads. You know, if you're a brand new product marketer, Obviously, they can read your book. They can go to your website, get a lot of information. They can get a lot of insight out of a training that you might offer. 
what are the two or three things to avoid? Now you you highlighted, you know, don't look at them as buyer profiles, right? Um, that's one thing to avoid. What are the other kind of things, potholes not to step in, so to speak, for these newer product marketers? Yeah, most important, don't make too many. Every single day. I, I was on the phone today with a probably, oh, I think they're easily one of the 20 largest tech companies in the world. I'd have to look at exactly where they are. And, you know, I've been talking to this client for a few months. We're ready to start the project. And she comes, well, I talked to my team and we have these five buyer personas (laughs) and we need to do interviews with all of them. And I said, hmm. And so I listened, you know, like I always do. And there's three different, you know, we have CFOs and CTOs who might be different than CIOs, right? And I... Just the thing I would tell every marketer is that when you start your buyer personas, or if anybody says buyer personas to you, come back to the idea that you want to understand how a buying committee works together to make a decision. And I'll just give you the CFO as an example. The CFO is involved in almost every technology purchase on the planet. But guess what? He signs off. He does not choose whether to go with provider A or provider B or provider C or which providers to consider. And he just signs off. And so are you really going to get any information from interviewing CFOs? No. You're going to get information from interviewing the people who evaluated provider A, B, C, and D and had to go to the CFO with a business case to get them to sign off. And, you know, does the CTO have different needs for knowledge and experiences before they'll make a decision? CTO, CIO, I don't know. But whatever you think you need as buyer personas, you probably need half that many, maybe less. If you think they're by by geography, you need almost none of the above. (laughs) So the main thing I tell new marketers is stop building all those personas. It's a huge, huge trap. And I had a really big client the other day actually said to me, you know, I said, well, you know, you really could look at these two personas as different. And they said to me, and I was like, I wanted to hug them, except you're not allowed to do that right now. They said to me, we don't have the resources to market to, to those, those two different personas differently. Oh my gosh, then let's not build them. Let's look at what they have in common. Let's interview both of them. Let's find out what they have in common because all you can really justify is investing in one marketing campaign to both of them. We should never be building different personas when we can't mark we can't even afford to market to them differently. Huge trap for new marketers building out dozens and dozens of personas. Huge trap. I've seen plenty of them, some short, some long (laughs) over the years. It's really amazing to see how different personas are from company to company. Just, you know, one question that I ask just to wrap up these interviews is, as you think about the future and as you think about your career and at some point retiring and sailing off into the sunset, what is it that you want to be remembered for? Made sense of B2B marketing. Made sense of B2B marketing. Yeah, it made me feel like this wasn't just like some thing that you could make up, you know, like we could sit in a room in a committee and just everybody, you know, shouts out their idea and he who has the loudest, biggest voice in the room or the biggest title wins instead gave me a voice to speak for the buyer and said, 
this makes sense. You know, this is logical. You know, that's my favorite feedback I get from people. And that's what I most like to be remembered for, Ryan, is that, you know, I, I just felt like she gave me a voice to be heard. And that was Adele Ravella, founder and CEO of the Buyer Persona Institute. If you want to go deeper into the world of buyer personas, Adele has a ton of great resources on her website, buyerpersona.com. And feel free to buy her book, Buyer Personas, on Amazon. If you liked this show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast channel. And thanks so much for listening.